We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This hour is brought to you by CarX Tire and Auto online at carx.com. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. In Odyssey Station. 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 Brings another veteran arm, um, definitely a lot more depth, um, and and a guy that that you know kind of been there, done that. So um, I've I've watched him pitch for the last however many years, and uh, you know he's definitely definitely got good stuff, and I, I think he's going to help the team out. Well, well, I think he's got great stuff, and he's chucking an iPad at somebody, and uh, really, you should you should see him throw tobacco spit on a baby. That, that's uh, that, that's really awesome too. Yeah, he's got great stuff. He's good at throwing stuff at people. That's Dylan Cease on his current teammate, Mike Clevenger. You asked a question earlier, Dan, that I think is really important to know. I don't know if we'll ever know, but one you would hope that the the White Sox may offer us. Where is he? Right because, now. Because it would not be strange two and a half weeks before spring training for him to be at this spring training facility. It wouldn't be strange at all for him to be down in Glendale right now. And I don't know if you can allow for him to be at your facility during this point in time. I know you can't, and you shouldn't, and they shouldn't, and they should have been on this the moment they knew. Not the moment it became public. Not the moment that it became a story in The Athletic, but the moment that they knew. And even if, even if we believe them, and they should be, it, 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 hard questions should be asked about why they didn't know when they signed. But even if it was just unfortunate that they were just ignorant and they didn't do enough due diligence and they found out shortly thereafter or a couple of weeks thereafter or a month thereafter, why when they found out from that intervening time, why didn't they act? And that's where we sit with this is we got the report yesterday from Katie Strang saying that the Padres knew because it was at the time of under investigation, he was still playing for the team because the investigation was last summer. I don't know why it takes major league baseball so long, by the way, because if this is still an open investigation, what do you need to make your decision that you haven't gotten over the past several months? With a cooperating victim. And it, yes, who's posted pictures, by the way, if you didn't know that part. And additionally, what is the onus of either baseball itself, the committee itself, or the team that is... That is, at that point, legislating him still to say, this is something that we have to address. How does it get to the White Sox, you not knowing? And then just like you said, Dan, the nature of Major League Baseball investigations, where we just had Ozzy on himself talking about how it's kind of like when the feds have you, when the feds have charged you with something, it's, it's a similar concept. How do you not get to this part and say, 
this is wrong. We need to stop. Let me ask you both a couple of questions. Just stay with me because it's it's a little weird, but I think you'll understand where I'm coming from. Layla, how long you been in the business? 20 years. Dan? Oh, God. One way or another, 90. I, I, I don't. I, too, 30. 30 years. Let's call it 30 years. I'm like 25. Do you know people at other radio stations, television stations across the country? Yes. Dan? So 32 years. Yes, I do. Do you know people that, that you could call? Like, let's say that you were up for a job or there was a producer that wanted to come and work here at the score, that you would have you would have devices that would allow for you to find out about that person from other people in your industry, right? Of yes, immediately. How do the White Sox not have someone at the, the Padres that could have told them the truth? With all the discussions they've had previously, with this, all the trade, the, the comp... They they have been able to complete complicated trades with the Padres. Yes. How do you not have someone in there that's like, fam, don't think you want to do that? And repeating what we said in transition with Molly and Hall a little bit, how does baseball not have someone in place when you're already under investigation that says, fam, do we want to be associated with this as a league? Yeah, red flag list mm-hmm. and say this, you are allowed to consult. It's, it's not for anybody. It's not public, but. And it, we're not going to tell you what it is. And that, but, right. that brings up the CBA. It brings up the union. And it also brings up the question. If these investigations are taking so long and this is the result, then should there be some sort of motivation to do this in a more swift manner? I believe the NFL does have something. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there, when they were doing the the three strikes, there was the performance-enhancing drug program and then the recreational drug program. And if you were – you, there was a place you could go to at the very least find out – if that player in question had a certain number of strikes already against them or positive tests, I believe. But you, you, you couldn't find out everything, but you, you got some advanced awareness of whether or not a player you were going to sign to a big contract was one strike away from an automatic suspension. But all of that said, given how many people associated with this organization are brought up now by fans by people familiar with the team, by people like us, at what point do you have to say, we just can't deal with this anymore? At what point do you say, we have to change the way that we do business? And, 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 and this is like, this is, this is simple procedural stuff. Where I, I was joking with, with Dan and Layla during the break. The next time that I apply for a mortgage there's going to be a more significant background check on me than clearly what the White Sox did with Mike Clevenger. Like that, that, there should be a higher standard, number one. Number two, you should have more people in and around baseball that you trust to not let you go down the wrong road. And if, if stuff like, because like, this keeps happening, the White Sox keep employing people there's there's a track record that's at least 10 years long of them employing people that they haven't done a good job of vetting or monitoring after they employ those people. And now you add this in this, 
Like there were red flags before you knew there were red flags. So why, if you knew that, because it, it the, his biggest public issue before this happened at your ballpark. They sent him away because of what he did while his team was in town. It was all over the place. There's an email here I wanted to read that speaks to a lot of this from an, um, sort of an umbrella idea. It's from Stonecutter who says, I am really mad at the White Sox. I am so tired of their structure allowing for nobody to get blamed when something like this happens. Whose job is it to make sure you don't sign a domestic abuser? It's Rick's job. Well, yeah, but Kenny's the real GM. No, not for a while he hasn't been. Rick is in control. Okay, but then who hired Tony LaRusso? Well, I mean, you know that was Jerry. Okay, well, who hired Pedro Grifol? Well, that was Rick. Okay, but who hires the coaching staff? Oh, that's Pedro Grifol's call. Okay, well, why is this guy still here? Oh, well, he's Kenny's spy. Says you can be mad at everyone. Or you can be mad at the Sox as an organization, but there's no one person at which to channel this rage, and it makes it all the more frustrating. I'm normally not looking for punitive measures, but when it comes to screwing up and signing a domestic abuser, I want someone to lose their job. Or failing that, someone who we can all whip tomatoes at for a few days because this should be considered unacceptable. But thanks to the way the White Sox are structured, it's going to end up being nobody's fault. Yes. It may not be actively duplicitous, but boy, oh boy, is it convenient when it needs to be. Very convenient. Why do you need a spy for a baseball team? That's the way they do it. Fiefdoms. Can I ask that question? Your guy. We're here and we're talking. My about guy. This? These are my people. Those are your people. This, this is- guy is clearly this guy's guy, and this guy is clearly that guy's guy. And then here you go, Pedro Grifol. Make up some new positions for the guys that you actually wanted to hire. And now the White Sox have three hitting coaches. But additionally, this is a free agent. That's what makes this so egregious. Which would say to you that is under the purview of the general manager who signed the player. Right? But if one team knows, the Padres knew for months. That's what I'm saying. How do you not, how, how can, how are your relationships so bad around the league? And where are your lawyers Like a a business has an HR department and a business has a a, a legal department to make sure you're not bringing anyone into your organization that could, at the very least, endanger someone, violate the law, or put you in a position of liability. Where are your, 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 all of this should be, what are the risks involved in, in the organization? Who's in charge of, of identifying and mitigating organizational risk that is totally avoidable. I do think, though, that when it comes to inter-team communication, like if you're talking about the Padres or the White Sox, I don't think you can, in a competitive league where you've seen cheating go, what, I wouldn't call it uh, by the wayside or I wouldn't call it looked over, but you saw how they handled that. You've seen how they've handled physicals. That That's not common information. The competitive edge is still there, but that's where I think there's an onus. If Major League Baseball knows it's investigating a player and they've already set that precedent with Trevor Bauer, somebody's got to step in and say, this is 
this is something that we are we are determining currently. But it should have been determined to me before I, before now if it's been over six months. I mean, if you're playing the cloak and dagger game, I'm gonna allow for that to a point. But if it's a team that doesn't want the player that you're trying to sign, and that may, they made it clear because he was a free agent, you you should go and ask. You should at least have enough relationships with people. Where you're like, hey man, why are you guys not bringing him back? Is there something I should know? And then and then they can be like, mm-hmm. and then you don't sign them. But that's if your if your connections are good enough. If you're buttoned up and you're doing your job of vetting the people that are you bringing to your organization. I would also hope that something along the lines of domestic abuse and child abuse would supersede the concept of on-field competition. Hasn't yet. He's still a member. He's still a member in good standing of the White Sox as of right now. It hasn't yet. I just Dan and I were kind of commiserating about this yesterday and then I I went and talked with Mike Rankin about it, and you hear it inside of Stonecutter's post. There are people who are texting about it. At some point, we'll talk about this like on a grander scale, but it, being a White Sox fan for the last two and a half years yep. has just sucked. Like, it's not fun. And the baseball stuff aside, because there's baseball stuff about being a White Sox fan that's not fun, but I just don't feel like I'm being, as a fan, I'm being represented by a buttoned-up organization. And every time that something comes up, you're reminded of the past mistakes. They can't, they can't cover up their past mistakes because they keep making mistakes that make you go, oh, yeah, they are the guys that didn't know what was going on with Wes Helms and didn't know what was going on with Omar Vizquel and didn't know what was going on with Dave Wilder and didn't know what was going on with Tony LaRussa. And you go, how is that possible? How? How are you not more vigilant because of what I mentioned and more? How are you not more vigilant when it comes to the most important thing? The, the people that are now the front people. Like, these are people that are behind the scenes for the most part. For the major league team, one of your starting five pitchers is a front man. You should do better in finding out what that guy's about. And there were already red flags about what that guy was about. And you, you look past them. And then didn't find all the information that you needed. And you've had the, the, the information that you've needed. And you still didn't. You still haven't come up with a good plan on what to do when the public found out about the guy that you signed, and you're just sitting there twiddling your thumbs. And 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 Stonecutter's right. Like you're you're pointing, going, well, you know, no one's in charge, so no one's at fault. And it just sucks. Like it really, it's. Every time you feel like there's something that'll make you get back into this thing. Like you hear Pedro Grafol and you go, all right, he seems competent. If they're going to right or wrong, they, yeah. there's, a, there's a clear awareness that the LaRusa thing was a complete mistake for all the reasons we said it was going to be. You know, like you, you, you see stuff and you go, yeah, that, that maybe things are getting on the right track. The two of us yesterday 
talking about how maybe we've been too hard on the White Sox. Maybe we haven't been hard enough on them. Because think- this is a dereliction of duty. Like, this, like, as much as we can talk about the pointing in different directions, this is Ellen Rick Hahn. You did this. You decided that you wanted to sign this dude. And you didn't do your due diligence. And you haven't come out and said a damn thing about any of this. And you can hide behind the procedure of Major League Baseball and trying to get to the bottom of this. But you wouldn't have this problem if you would have actually done the job of of vetting someone that you were going to put in front of people as one of your players. I'm sorry, Leah. I cut you off. My bad. It's okay. That's the whole point of the show is to discuss stuff. It just makes me ask the question again. It was hard to read the story about Omar Vizquel to read a headline about him. What did that mean to the organization? The stuff on Wes Helms didn't even all get out. <sighs> then they talk about Project Birmingham. And Tony... What, what went Tony's, out of Tell us about Birmingham, please. They would love to tell you about Birmingham. Yeah, Tony's except for second, all that stuff. That part. Tony's second DUI conviction came with what remorse? Didn't it come with him attacking WGN for releasing the video, which is public record? Yes. Mm-hmm. And they didn't actually release it. They requested it. And because it's public record, then it was then it was publicized. What remorse was there? There wasn't. There was, we didn't know. I mean, our owner knew. And here's But we didn't know. And if you truly didn't know about But we talk this, every day. If you truly didn't know about this, yeah, you you didn't have the power to know about it for reasons I still don't understand. I'm also looking at MLB here. But you have the power to do something now. Crickets. Nothing. We're not hearing anything. I, I, under- I said it before I went to bed last night. I said by the time I wake up, however you want to lawyer it, he should be removed in some way from good standing in your organization. Nothing. Zero. It's funny how, like, when it comes to ownership looking at player contracts or ownership looking at the CBA or the lockout, they're able to find the smallest things to help improve their standing and point of view. This would seem like you've had plenty of time because they knew at least a week after they signed this guy that you had this problem and you should have, as you say, Dan, you should have lawyered this to a point where you're not on the hook for the $12 million because I know that you care about the $12 million. But, But more importantly, this guy created a a PR scenario for you that you don't need as as you as you beg fans to hang with this team you've created another another bombshell of a moment where the white Sox look incompetent here's a text from the 708 what you guys don't understand is there's a majority of fans who don't care about their personal lives. We just want to win. Uh, from a baseball standpoint, Clevenger was a questionable decision. Yeah, but have, have, have fun with that. And I, I hope that that's just somebody trolling because I, you're wrong. I, I, it's, it's not a majority that is that obtuse and 
bankrupt about it. It's not. Yeah, we're all not scumbags like you, sir. Right. Just because you're a scumbag, you can't cloak yourself in, in anybody else. Go ahead. Be a scumbag. But own it and, and don't claim to be part of a majority that doesn't exist. If you want to be an a-hole, be an a-hole. <laughs> yeah, if you want to die on this hill, that's on you. And if that's how you want to be a sports fan and, and that brings you some kind of joy, all right. Okay, have fun with it. We'll talk football next. We've got Bears discussion and Championship Sunday talk with Robert Mays of The Athletic next on The Score. Dan Bernstein, Lawrence Holmes, Middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. I did not want to go, and they kind of gave me the ultimatum of I wasn't going back in unless I went in there. So uh, uh, they're, they're trying to take care of me. we got a lot of great people over here, but uh, it's a lot, it's going to take a lot to keep me out of a football game. You thought I went Texas on here. That's East Texas accent at its finest. There it is. I love Patrick Mahomes. I like Shane's impersonation of Patrick Mahomes. And Bam from hometown. And I like that Shane's on a building in Bridgeport. He is. We haven't determined which building. It, that's not Shane. That's if Shane were the, the god of the oceans. Yeah. I, I should have taken a picture. We drove by it, and I saw it. It's right near uh, the... The Jones baseball field. You've never seen it, Layla? I'm going to take a picture of it. I it, should no, have taken a picture. I it's, haven't. It's yes. so great. It looks exactly like Shane. And then I thought, if Shane were the god of the oceans, would there be any fish left, or would they all be grilled already? Mm. Or prepared in some sort of manner? He, he'd make them self-sustaining aquaculture, so there would be enough of them, and they would all be free of mercury and uh, all the toxic chemicals that are so horrible. But that's not why you called. That sounds nice. Robert Mays is on Twitter, at Robert Mays, the host of the Athletic Football Show and NFL writer for The Athletic, joins us on the Score Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Robert, Hi. We got gotcha. you. The Cylons got Robert. Man, y'all wanted that whole nine billion light years away radio signal. Well, let's go back to talking about Shane as Poseidon. You asked for that, <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's blue, right? The guy that looks like the beard is blue. The beard is blue, and it, I'm telling you, it's like th- there's a, a name, image, and likeness issue here. I, I think Shane should get paid. For what's happened, Somebody's I think you're right. What we're talking about. Somebody has to know exactly what that. We'll find it. Somebody Robert, will send us a picture. Robert, thanks for joining us here on the score. How you been? Happy to talk to you guys. I'm good. Well, thank you for checking in, man. There's a lot that we can cover, but why don't we start close to home first? What's your feeling about the Bears hiring Kevin Warren? I honestly, it's one of those things where in the middle of the playoffs, I haven't really taken a step back and read much about him. Or his background. I mean, there seem to be a lot of people who know the college football world that think it's a solid choice that he has a really good resume compared to other people who might have been in line to get the job. I don't know. I would trust your guys' opinion of it more than mine at this point, just because it hasn't really been on my radar as much as it probably should have. That's going to be a February 20th deep dive for this guy. All right. Fair enough. And all of your travels, though, around the league and when you talk to people, knowing what you know about the Bears' power structure, for example, leading up to this decision... And knowing what you know about others, how much can a positive difference be made when you hire a president who's got some vision, has skins on the wall, and and knows what they're doing? I think it's hugely important because the Bears don't really have a power structure. I think that's why this is so crucial compared to other franchises around the league. You know, the one that I would 
compare it to is last year, right? So the Vikings hire Kwesi Adolfo Mensa to be their general manager. The Vikings have presidents in place that have had a role in football operations there for a very long time. Rob Brzezinski is kind of like their cap guy. I don't know what his exact title is, but he's been there through multiple GMs, multiple ownerships. And so the Bears don't have anything like that. You know, it's really just Ted Phillips and then whoever runs the football side. So having somebody that can vision, I think, is a very, very good word, is almost more important for that organization than it is really anywhere else because of how little infrastructure is in place there outside of the direct ownership, the football sideline of things. It's funny, and I, I don't want to drag the White Sox into this, but when we talk about the effect that a real president has on an organization and how things are supposed to work properly, it really is the opposite of everything that we're talking about with the White Sox. Mm-hmm. Just the idea of trust in an organization having processes in place, and some of it is would be football-related, some of it is not football-related, but just that there's a grown-up there making sure things go go right. And for the Bears, maybe they've gotten lucky in some cases and unlucky in some others, but this is the first time that I can remember observing this team my entire youth and professional career, the first time that I know that there's been somebody there where, where about whom I can say that. It's so important. And we did a show today just about the lessons that you can learn from the teams that are left, the four teams that are left. And you look at, in my opinion, the Niners and the Eagles, and just how much of a consistent advantage is created by the leadership in those two places. You know, the Eagles, there's no coincidence that they've been successful through multiple head coaches, multiple quarterbacks, even in the last five years. I mean, to go to two Super Bowls in five seasons with two different head coaches and two different quarterbacks is an organizational achievement. And I think that the advantage that Jeffrey Lurie has given them really over the last couple decades because of how they operate is substantial. And then you go over to San Francisco and John Lynch was hired as the GM in 2017, and they have an interesting power structure with him and Kyle Shanahan. But Parag Maretha, who is their president of, I think, 49ers Enterprises, something like that, he has been the through line through multiple regimes there. And if you look at how both of those teams manage the cap, allocate resources, think about team building and construction, there's a creativity and an innovation that goes with it that I think consistently gives them an edge. So when you're in a very competitive world you need every single percentage point and i think doing everything you can to create a leadership structure that gives you that is paramount in the way that their nfl operates i also want to ask you this when it comes to the eagles it stands to be repeated that they also knew that they had made a mistake before that first super bowl the 2018 super bowl and going back and saying, or 2017 season, whichever you prefer, going back and saying this Chip Kelly decision was bad, we're going to try to fix this, and the humility of the organization to do so resulted in massive benefits for them. It's been more than that. Think about moving on from Carson Wentz as quickly as they did. Right. Yeah, drafting Jalen Hurts when they did. That's why I really think that we do this wrong when we judge GMs. And you look at draft record first. I remember when John Robinson was fired this year in the middle of the season. People were like, oh, look at his draft record. You know, they haven't really drafted very well. I think every GM is going to go through bear and bull periods with their drafting record. It happens everywhere. But how quickly are you able to pivot? How many outs do you give yourself? How creative and flexible are you? And what the Eagles have done, think about what they did even with Jalen Hurts this year before he became the guy we're watching right now. 
they have an extra first-round pick next year. If Jalen Hurts didn't become that guy, they gave themselves an opportunity to explore even another avenue. And I think that is the hallmark of a good front office. It's not about hitting 85% in the draft every year. No one is going to do that. It has never happened. John Schneider had one of the greatest drafts we've ever seen in 2012. The Seahawks went on a three- to four-year heater that was unprecedented in the modern NFL. And then they went on a three- or four-year cold streak that was almost as bad as the first one was good. So what are you doing to make sure that if things go poorly, you can pivot, you can execute, you can do all of those things? That, to me, is the mark of a good front office. How would you assess Justin Fields' first year as a full-time starter and what type of position are the Bears in as they sit here with the number one pick? I think it was undeniably exciting. I think that it was encouraging, especially after you consider what last year looked like and what early this year looked like. I mean, I remember watching that Washington game and doing a show right after and just kind of staring into the abyss. Like, if, if this keeps going like this, I just can't feel good about it. And then you have the little mini-buy and you have the pivot to what they looked like offensively. And I think you saw what sort of special athlete he was and how you just don't find that many of those guys. So you tap into that a little bit. I think there was some progress in how he was throwing the ball within structure. And I think that he did enough for you to say, okay, you know, let's see what he can be when we build around him. And that's really all you wanted to leave this season with. It was always going to be an interesting dynamic. You know, we've talked about this. They tore the team down. Mm-hmm. It was a complete rebuild, except for the quarterback. That's a really hard thing to put on a second-year quarterback. And him coming out kind of unscathed on the other side with as much optimism surrounding him as there is, I think is ultimately a positive. The number one pick is going to be a question of what is the market for the quarterbacks? And is a team really willing to go up and get one? Can you get a haul for that? Can you yes. get hauls? Yes. Can- History tells us the answer to that is a resounding yes. And that's what matters. You know, I, I just, when it's for a quarterback, we've always seen that teams are willing to overpay. You know, obviously the most recent example is what happened with San Francisco and Miami. The Niners are coming from 12 to three. It involves multiple first round picks. If you're doing it with the Colts, you know, that the number probably isn't going to be that high, but what sort of war chest can you establish while also trying to leave the top 10 with what you feel is a difference maker? I, I just think that that has to be the mindset as you walk into this. And even that second part, you know, I think there are going to be some people who look at this draft class and say, Jalen Carter and God, then pass rusher, Will Anderson, mm-hmm. Jalen Carter and, Pat and Will Anderson are a different breed. They are just a different type of player. You have to leave the draft with one of those guys. I would push back on that a little bit and say that the history of the draft is littered with people who were overconfident in their evaluations of how to tier players. I think that when you look at the overall construct of the roster, the Bears don't have any players. Doing everything you can to get as many bites at this as you can over the next couple of years, I think, has to be a priority. Enough of this rational talk. Is Aaron Rodgers going to get traded or not? (laughs) I... What a fascinating dynamic with him in that organization. You know, it they've been so quick so often to just say, this is how we do things. We, we'll move on from people. We traded Brett Favre. We don't really stretch ourselves in a veteran free agent market. We're patient. We're considered. We're methodical. And for them to kind of seed things the way they have to him, I can understand Brian Gunkus eventually is getting to a place and being like, you know what? I, I can't do this anymore. 
Like I, I just have to move on, even if it's not in the best interest of the organization in the next six months, we ultimately have to turn the page because we're kind of getting held hostage here every single offseason. And it's a push and pull because you want to do right by the guys in that building, give them the best chance to win. But I think you also want to eventually just re kind of revert to back to a state of normalcy when you think about team building and your own job and everything else. So it's fascinating. And I think ultimately it could be a question of what is another team going to give up for this version of Aaron Rodgers based on where they are. So it's going to be another soap opera spring. So buckle in. I appreciate it, Robert Mays. I also think this is Aaron Rodgers being jealous of Brett Favre's goodbye tour. And this is him trying to recreate it. But that's just me. He could just say he's retiring. If he wanted to do this, he could just go into a season and be like, this is it. You know, really appreciate it. I would just, and I think a lot of guys wouldn't want to do that because they wouldn't want the attention. I think he might. Oh, yeah. I think he's jealous of what happened with Brett Favre, like dominating ESPN 10 years ago, and we're, we're all living it out in real time. That's me, just me. I, I want to ask you this, too. Do you think Brock Purdy's any good? Ooh. I think it's all relative. That's not I a yes. That, <laughs> I think that for a, for a seventh-round rookie, I think he's done a really nice job. I think that he has aspects of – he plays the position with certain attributes that you look for, you know? He his decision making has been good. He's kept care. He's taken care of the ball. I think that some of the stuff that he can do off schedule is has elevated that offense a little bit. It's just an aspect that they didn't have with Jimmy Garoppolo. His ability to make second reaction plays when things break down, he can move a little bit in the pocket. Their design rollout percentage has gone from like five percent with Jimmy to about ten percent with Brock Purdy. So that movement of the pocket stuff that is a staple of the Shanahan offense, they've gotten back to a little bit. All of that being said, I think that the combination of pass catchers and play caller is the best that I've seen since I've been covering the NFL, which is about 10 years. Brandon Ayuk is a legit number one receiver in the NFL. I think he's like one of the best 15 receivers in football, probably. He's the fourth best player in their skill position group. And I think by a by like pretty wide margin. Like what they have built there and with Kyle Shanahan, who I think is the best offensive mind in the NFL pulling strings, I've never seen anything quite like this. So there's a reason that Jimmy Garoppolo was one of the five most efficient quarterbacks in the league. There's a reason that when Nick Mullins was starting for them, he was averaging like eight yards per attempt and was middle of the road in every advanced quarterback metric, even though he's bouncing around NFL rosters. What Kyle Shanahan can do for you is unlike any other play caller in the NFL but he can also be better than he should be given what his draft status is. I think both of those things can be true at the same time. All right, so here's why I ask. Because it seems to me that Kyle Shanahan's ability to really kind of be this this sort of quarterbacking Svengali is making for a lot of bad coaching hires, Matt Nagy being one of them. Because if, if he's really that good... And then teams think, well, where can I find that guy that that finds value in a seventh-round pick of this most incredible expensive position? Think of what the possibilities are if he can do this with this guy. And, and it makes for just a lot of dumb hires because of how how unlikely that is, how difficult it is to do if you really believe that he's that good at it. I think that the funny thing about this is I don't think Kyle Shanahan is a quarterback savant. I think that those are two different things. That system of offense 
actually takes a lot off the quarterback's plate. I see how you're that that's a semantic difference, but I understand what you mean that it makes however the quarterback is deployed, it changes the the valuation structure of how you can run your team. Well, I also think that it stunts quarterback development. So if you want if you have a young quarterback and you say I I need this guy to get from point A to point B. I need him to eventually become like a superstar level player. That offense that Kyle Shanahan is running right now in San Francisco, I think actually is a detriment to that because it's point and shoot. You're not asking that guy to change protections. You're not asking him to do a lot of post-snap processing. It is, this guy is open, throw him the ball when it's open. So it's different than bringing someone in to be a steward of your young quarterback or his development. This is almost a way to marginalize the impact of a quarterback, which I think is hard to be successful with. I think this is a singular enough example in the modern NFL that thinking that you can replicate what Kyle Shanahan's doing right now in any way is probably a fool's errand. Robert, have we reached Jordan's status with Mahomes? And, and what I mean is Jordan kept doing all this stuff and everyone's like, well, he should just be the MVP every year. Where the special stuff that Patrick Mahomes does is so like we're like, oh yeah, just throw him with his left hand behind his back jump passes on one leg, then jump pass on the other leg because the other legs hurt. Have we become numb to how special this dude is? Yes. I mean, yes, 100%. And I'm guilty of it. I am always like this. You gave me like four or five years of the Patriots, and I was like, all right, I'm good. Like, I'm all set. What's next? What's new? I'm (laughs) on board. And I've always been like that. And coming into this season, I think it was – so tempting after you watched his playoff run last year, which was one of the best playoff runs we've ever seen, the two games that Josh Allen played, and what Justin Herbert was over his first couple of years, and you know Joe Burrow's second season, and thought, all right, you know, what's the quarterback hierarchy going to look like in the NFL by the end of 2022? Can these guys give Mahomes a run for their money? The answer is no. Like He's just the best player, and I think he's just going to be the best player for a very long time. The Chiefs traded away a receiver that was worth multiple first round picks or multiple, like at least four or five picks total in that trade, including a first and a second rounder. He led the NFL in yards per route run this season. He was a first team, all pro receiver on a different team. And the chiefs still had the best offense in the league by a lot. They were one of the most efficient offenses of the last 10 years. And sometimes it's hard to extricate quarterback efficiency metrics from the overall impact of the offense. And that's why you have to look one layer deeper and say, okay, we're, what role does the quarterback have in the offense's success? Patrick Mahomes is the Chiefs' offense. It's Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. And I know Travis Kelsey is very good, but for him to have the best offense in football in a year where they were theoretically supposed to take a step back, just go back and watch the first drive of the Chiefs-Jaguars game from last week. The Jaguars played a perfect defensive drive. Every blitz was well-timed. They called the right coverages. They got free runners. And he marched the ball down the field like it was absolutely nothing. Like what he can do, even when you're right and to make you wrong, there's no one that has that combination of stuff. The on schedule, in structure, in the pocket decisions, ability that he has, combined with the ad lib, out of the pocket, arm angle, scrambling, I've never seen a quarterback like that. And I just think that he is in a tier all by himself right now. And I think that this year was a resounding example of that. I think there's also something to be said that we forget about as fans. When it comes to scheming receivers open and how a quarterback can do that on his own and he has that power. 
There's no doubt. It's the creativity that he has as a thrower. What the most interesting stat to me is that, so last year, I think the year before that probably as well, the Chiefs saw some of the least amount of man coverage in the NFL, probably bottom third of the league, bottom five in the league. And that is almost entirely a product of Tyreek Hill. Teams just did not want to play man coverage against Tyreek Hill. You look at the Dolphins this year, it was the exact same thing. This year, the Chiefs saw man coverage at one of the three or four highest rates in the league. And that is a declaration from defenses that say, we don't trust your guys to get open. We don't respect the receiving talent that you have. The onus then, when teams are doing that, is on the quarterback. It's about ball placement. It's about what can you do when we're making these throws tough on you. The answer was the best offense in the NFL. No matter what challenge you try to present to him, he has figured out a way to address that challenge. And that's what greatness looks like. What Super Bowl would you want as a fan? I'm not asking who you think is going to win, but what, what would you just be mo- most excited to see and why? It, it, the Final Four is awesome. I, I it, There isn't – last year, I feel like Chiefs Niners or Chiefs Rams, it just because the Bills didn't feel like that kind of team. The Bill, excuse me, the Bengals. The Bengals didn't feel like that sort of team last year. They got some lucky breaks. If you look at the – the numbers, they were like the 15th, the 18th best team in the league in a lot of metrics. That's not the case this year. Like All four of these teams are legit powerhouse teams on both sides of the ball. I feel so much differently now about the Bengals than I did at this time last year. It's crazy. So any of the permutations I'm totally fine with, I really don't know. Okay. I, th- I think that the Eagles and what they've built is really fun, but I also think that if the Niners can get there, with a seventh-round rookie quarterback, it's just such a testament to what Kyle Shanahan has built. Kyle Shanahan, the thing, I've, I've come back to this a bunch of different times and coached the year conversations over the last couple of weeks. If you want to do a fun exercise, go look at the 2021 49ers offensive coaching staff. Or if you even want to go back two years, look at 20 and 21. And then look at the 2022 49ers coaching staff. I believe there is one offensive assistant remaining from the 20 and 21 staffs combined. They're all gone. They all either went to work for Mike McDaniel or they got hired away. Both offensive coordinators, run game coordinator, tight ends coach, wide receivers coach, his running backs coach retired, and he's still doing what he is. Wow. Like that guy is unbelievably good at his job. So celebrating that would be fun. Celebrating what the Eagles have done as a team building process has been fun. Celebrating the evolution of who the Bengals have been and how much they've even changed over this season. And then again, we just got done talking about Mahomes. Like, Typically, I am rooting for a single matchup or for a team to get in just because I think they're more interesting. This year, I don't have any sort of dog in that fight. I really don't. There it is. Robert Mays of The Athletic. Thank you, sir. Absolutely, guys. Looking forward to having a conversation with Katie Strang, also of The Athletic, who, along with Britt Garoli, broke the story about Mike Clevenger and his uh, the, the claims of now multiple partners of abuse at his hands. So we're going to look forward to talking with her. And man, some of the textures, it, it just, I don't know how you still can't understand what legal standards apply and where and when, and just, and seemingly still won't try to understand. It's really frustrating. We got a break back after this on the score.